Hey, Dan, welcome to the Apprenticeships podcast. It's great to have you on. So we're going to be talking about all things apprenticeships today, unsurprisingly. So it'd be great to learn more about what you do and your experience in the apprenticeship space. So give us a bit of an overview about yourself. Brilliant. Thanks, John. It's great to be here today. Really excited to the opportunity to talk to you and to your listeners about apprenticeships, something that I'm really, really passionate about. I currently work as the director of apprenticeships for a company called Bit Training, which is part of Blue Screen IT. And over at Bit Group, I oversee our apprenticeship training provision and everything that we're doing in terms of delivering apprenticeships to the employers and the learners that we work with. In terms of my background, I've worked in apprenticeships now for about 15 years. I started off working for a very, very large digital training provider back in Ooh, I don't want to say 2006, but it could be a year either way. A company called Zenos that were very, very large in the digital training environment as a classroom trainer. And I used to have the apprentices in my classroom and teach them the technical skills that they would need. And I've worked since then, I've worked across the sector. I've worked for several of the large providers in the sector. And it's bringing me to the point today where actually I am heading up and looking after the apprenticeship delivery within within bit training. So it's been part of my life for as long as I can remember and something I'm really passionate about. Nice. No, it's it's really good to to meet meet, meet people passionate about apprenticeships because I think they they can be transformational, right? When when they're done right. It's nice to have the digital side of things in common as well. People that know me, I'm I'm kind of working on the sort of level 6 Digitech kind of apprenticeships, which is which is good fun. Lots of moving parts, as always. Things to to keep on top of. And I think I'm I'm a relative baby when it comes to experience in in apprenticeships. I've only been involved maybe for sort of four or five years, so it's great to tap into your wisdom and experience. So I, I know your focus is mainly on cyber at the moment. It, is is that right? Absolutely. So. If, if I talk about bit training for a moment about my my, my company, hmm. we are a specialist cyber security training organisation. The company is actually a little bit larger. We provide cybersecurity managed services. So, if you if, to put that in the context that your non tech listeners might be listening to, might be thinking about, your company might be interested in checking what the, the authenticity and the validity of your cyber your your cyber posture, whether you're safe from hackers yourselves and so we can do the, the other side of our company can do things like come out and do something what we call a penetration test and that means we uh, you invite us to come and hack you as hard as we can and then tell you what's what's worked so you know how to improve your your security resources we'll provide monitoring services so we can pick up on where where there's potential intrusion and someone's attacked your business and various other cyber services in the background behind the scenes we also do a lot of research in the cyberspace and i work on the training side of the business where we traditionally have worked with people who come out of the armed forces and getting them to bring their skills into a career in that cyber world. We do some commercial training. We're working very hard on the boot camps that are very, very successful at the moment. And then obviously we have the apprenticeship provision as well. So that's a bit of background of the business. And we are about cyber security. I think one of the things that I would say about us is that there are a lot of really, really good training providers out there. I know there are, I've worked for some of them and, and and I believe that some real talent in the sector delivering digital skills. Where we're different is we have cyber experts delivering cyber security to apprentices who are looking to come into that cyber security world. It's interesting when you look at the apprenticeship landscape and look at the cyber and digital world particularly, it's only relatively recently that the 
cybersecurity employers are starting to look at and understand how apprenticeships are going to help them in their in, in their recruitment and in, in, in their talent and being developed able to develop their staff. There is a currently a absolutely massive skills gap in cybersecurity. If we talk about that sector of IT specifically, we have a few things going on in the cybersecurity world at the moment that, that, that I'm sure anyone in, who's listening who's again in that space will recognise. There is a lack of new talent coming into the sector. Being able to find the new people coming into your business at that lower level is is very, very hard. There is this perception that when people are advertising roles and jobs and, and, and recruiting within the sector, that there is a certain amount of time served needs. And so what's happening is all the cybersecurity organizations are recruiting each other's staff off of each other. And it's spiraling the salary bracket, which is great for those who are working in the sector, I suppose. But it's spiraling, it's spiraling the salary bracket, but they're all fighting over that existing talent. And there is a lack of new blood, new skill and new ability coming into the sector. And in a few years' time, this will get even worse because we all hope that someday we're going to retire. And those people who are at the top of that cybersecurity sector will suddenly turn around to their managers, probably en masse, because they're all going through as a group together, slightly older, and say, it's time for us to go and sit in the sun and enjoy, enjoy the rest of our lives. And then we're going to have this big gap underneath them apprenticeships are starting to fill that gap and it's an exciting time to be working in that cyberspace because their cyber world is just understanding these these tools that they, they have available to them and they are tools for the employers apprenticeships the boot camps they're coming through and those kind of op options are great tools to bring skills into the workplace and for them to grow their own talent and their own skills to operate in the way that they do. So it's a really exciting time in, in, in the world of cyber. Yeah, no, it sounds fascinating. I, I think there seems to be a digital skills gap across across the board. I know particularly why I'm closer to maybe software and, and IT, but yeah, it seems to be a crisis that we're all kind of working towards trying to, trying to help. Yeah. Let's, let, let's be honest, John, if we look at the employment figures in the UK today and we look at the opportunities and what's happening out there, I don't think there is a single sector out there that doesn't have a skills gap of some sort. We have record low unemployment. Yeah. We have we have we have companies that are recruiting from each other very that very very. very I know in the summer we had some of the big warehousing companies, nothing to do with cyber, but in your warehousing companies, companies like Amazon and those other companies there, literally offering signing on bonuses. I only ever really heard about when watching football before for employees to come and work for them instead. So there is a talent gap, a skills gap right across the space. We're seeing it peaked in that cybersecurity world at the moment. And you talk about the digital world, but it doesn't matter where you work. And I'm passionate about people succeeding. Talk about apprenticeships. You know, I'll talk about cyber till, 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 the, till the end of time, but I'll talk about apprenticeships. And this is so important that we understand and appreciate that we have a gap of skill right across the workplace at the moment and people are struggling to <laughs> fill that i think back to and, and people are still trying to fill these these jobs and this is one of the big concerns i have is the, the way they always have done if you go on to indeed or any of the job advertising sites at the moment and you look for entry-level jobs within a skilled profession such as cyber, those entry-level jobs, they're still saying that they want the employee to have five years of experience 
experiencing technologies that are only three years old for five years and a really crazy amount of experience to be even able to get that entry-level job and are young people who have followed the route they've always been encouraged to do you go to school let's go to college let's go to university and then they're coming out of university at the end and they're looking at each other and going what the heck do i do it's no accident that i get plenty of graduates applying for apprenticeships yeah indeed I, i see that as well coming from different backgrounds different subjects and then then upskilling through an apprenticeship yeah there's a few i mean interesting points there about job adverts and the, the traditional kind of approach of hiring grads hiring graduates is tipping that balance i know that some companies are sort of tipping that balance and kind of making use of both worlds so strong apprenticeship programs but also strong graduate programs but yeah tipping that balance and making use of the the apprenticeship model i think there's a long way to go Ab- um interesting point you you sort you made about the the job adverts as well and needing that that kind of experience anecdotally as well i i i somebody somebody said i I remember it sticks in my mind that you know for any kind of job if you meet half of the qualifications you're you're kind of suited for the job if you meet 75 percent of the 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 listed qualifications you're overqualified and i think that's partly a, a disconnect between companies and maybe the, the the worst situation is that companies are putting these requirements out there and actually are expecting them. Yep. The the kind of the easy win is to help these companies understand that actually maybe you, you're putting off a lot of applicants and you're missing out of talent because people find the job and they move on because the the the, the advert speaks to them and saying this isn't for me when actually it might be. But I suppose that's a separate kind of recruitment issue, right? Yeah. So no. lots of issues to unpick. <laughs> No, definitely. There, there's a lot of issues in there. And I think that um, I don't think any employer is trying to disqualify themselves from great candidates. I don't think that there are many employers out there and recruitment, people working recruitment teams that are trying to shoot themselves in the foot. It's just they're trying to navigate a landscape which has, which is changing with options that didn't exist even a few years ago. And then there's there's this perception change in some of the routes that are out, that are out there in terms of in, 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 to, in employment. We talked about university, and you mentioned university. I spoke about apprenticeships as an alternative, and then you came back. And you talked about how universities are important too. And I guess if I had a young person listening to this right now, I want to emphasise that I am not anti going to university. I'm not trying to sell apprenticeships as a better solution than university and i think this is one of the things that needs to change is this what i describe as parity of esteem between the two different pathways that are there if i had a young person in front of me who said to me what should i do my first question to them is always what do you want to do and if they want that university lifestyle if they want to go and have that experience for three years at university and they want to go and read french at oxford or science dundee they should go and do that because it is a fantastic experience however i think of myself as an example if i roll myself back maybe five ten years when i was 18 it's possibly slightly longer than that but don't tell anybody that sounds about right yeah that's what that's what i thought i'll support you on that all right (laughs) when i was 18 it was early 90s and there was this perception certainly where i grew up in rural new forest middle class hampshire that if 
you wanted to succeed in your career, you had to go to university. When I was at school, it was all about which college, which A-levels, which university to go to. My parents encouraged me to follow that route because that was their understanding of what was required and what was needed to be able to succeed. I remember a conversation I had with my dad when I must have been about 14, and I decided that day, for some reason, I wanted to be a chef or something like that. And I was sat in the car. He was driving home from scouts or something silly, and I said to him, do you know what, Dad? I would really think I want to be a chef. And my dad looked at me and he said to me, if you get a bachelor's degree, you can be whatever you want to be. Because the perception at the time was that that bachelor's degree was the golden ticket to a good career. And he was purely encouraging me to do so. If we look at my learning style, the way I learn and the way I operate, university was not for me. And this isn't about academics. I was... I can say this with five years hindsight, I was awful at school. I never did my homework. I was, you know, in terms of the academics and actually doing the studying, I was not the ideal student, we could say. But I was talented. So when it came to those end of school tests, I was always one of those kids that looked to see whether they were the top of the year group in the, in the maths or the assessment or, or the English on test that had been being done and was always upset if you weren't in those top three or four. So I had a natural ability there. But I hadn't prospered and I hadn't nurtured it properly. By the time I got to college and got to university, I went to university, the University of Aberdeen, and I went to study molecular biology. Loved university. Fantastic. Best three years of my life from a lifestyle point of view. However, if I'm honest, university wasn't for me. All right. If someone had sat me down at 16 and 17 and talked about other options available to me that may have inspired me by working and learning and earning at the same time those routes there would have worked with the way I learn and the way I work so much better and I ended up dropping out I am proud to say I'm a university dropout I didn't complete my degree I then wandered around in the mists for a little while until I came until I came to my other passion which was IT and moved into that digital IT space that's there. What's the lesson for that? If I had a young person in front of me, understand the way you learn and follow the route that works for you. If I had a parent in front of me, I would say to them, understand the way your child learns and understand that apprenticeships are not for the kids that don't make the grade. Apprenticeships are not an inferior pathway. They are just as valid as any other pathway there. When we look at apprenticeships, we look at the officer. You, you work in the university, you're offering degree apprenticeships, John. The stuff that you're doing at the moment is the, the, it is the thing that gives truth to the lie, if you like, that apprenticeships are inferior in some way. What would be entirely possible to, to do is a young person come to, to me at 16 fresh out of college, out of school, fresh out of college, and we put them through a level three apprenticeship, follow that into a level four apprenticeship in cybersecurity, and then hand them off to yourselves at your, at your university job where they could do a degree apprenticeship and even their level seven master's apprenticeship. They're getting the same level and quality of education yep. as any traditional university student going down that academic route. And they actually get the added benefit that because it's an apprenticeship, they're being paid, they've got a job, they're not racking up student debt and when we get to that end of that life cycle the learners the, the students are coming out of university saying now what do i do because i'm looking at job ads that ads give me five, ask for five years experience 
they've worked for the same employer for five years whilst developing those skills. And it's such a powerful, powerful route for this. But people are still not explaining this to parents and there's support needed for schools and colleges to be able to get this message across as well. Yeah, totally. It's wholeheartedly agree. So I think for you, for young people, it's knowing what their options are. Um, it's, it's the first thing. And I've, I've spoken to some career advisors that are very positive about making sure that, that sort of younger ones, school leavers know their options around apprenticeships and actually what they are. And you highlighted the, the opportunity there is to actually upskill from whether you're starting at level three, level four, going all the way up to sort of level six, degree level and level seven, master's level and or you know or 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 whatever level and come out with a degree or a master's and have four or five years experience absolutely which is incredible and it and i think the learning experience that apprentices have i know from my side obviously it's a small bubble so working in digitech digital and technology solutions professional level six apprenticeships they tend to be high achievers, those that come through to that level. And maybe university definitely wasn't for them, or maybe they're, they're, they kind of dropped out, you know, similar to yourself. You're in good company. Some of the yeah. you know, most successful people have dropped out from university. And, and they're going through and, and, and achieving, you know, fir- first, they're getting first-class degrees. And I, I'm convinced when I'm looking at it and on the ground and, and working with these ones, you know, it's because they're, they're taking it so seriously. They take it seriously as part of their job. They kind of they're they're using the experience from both sides. You know, the academic experience is flowing into the day job. The day job is flowing back into their their kind of learning, and it ends up being a richer experience. And they're they're higher achievers. And I I teach on normal undergrad programs and degree apprenticeship programs, and there is a great divide. The the, the apprentices are they t- they seem to achieve higher you know it's not grade inflation it, it's you, when you compare like for like there's just a different level of work that, that tends to be coming coming through there so which which is fantastic to see so you know so many positives there and i suppose we can't go on about it enough to really sort of highlight highlight the opportunities there so yeah let's keep on doing that yeah abso- <laughs> absolutely I, th- I think what i would say is my invitation is to particularly to employers but to anyone who's out there is if you want to understand more, if you're interested in taking an apprentice on a cyber route, I, I, I'm in business here, I'll talk to you, I'll sign you up and I'll give you an apprentice. But if you are an employer that is just wanting to understand that apprenticeship landscape further, I'm quite happy to sit down with anyone and chat them through how that works, whether that's my discipline or not. Because I, it, this route is so important to our young people, to for, for people like me, who are going through education now to actually get the kind of training and development education that they need in the way that they can access. It's important to our business. It's important to the British economy. Getting this piece right is so important for everyone. And if anyone wants to talk to me about it, just come and look me up. It's not a problem at all. Yeah, fantastic. It's good to have that, that open invitation. Is Yeah, it's fantastic. And I think it, we need both collaboration within the industry between providers as well as just supporting employers in understanding understanding it again anecdotally we've heard of employers that really just they simply don't want to touch apprenticeships because of the perceived complexity and 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 regulatory compliance around it but it but it can work and it can work incredibly well yeah 
Absolutely. And then again, for anyone who's listening that thinks there's complexity in the regulatory requirements, that's my job. That's what I'm for, is I understand the complexities of regulatory requirements. If you're an employer, all you need to be willing to do is give someone a job for the duration of their program allow them time to be able to do their study mm. as, as part of their apprenticeship and encourage them. If you can do all those things, you can have a yep. successful apprenticeship adding value yep. to your company. You know? Yeah, exactly. Perfect. So, so coming back to like the, the, the practical side of, of running yeah. apprenticeship programs and kind of linked to that, making them successful. So in your illustrious career to date, I'm sure you've encountered lots of challenges. So are there any particular particular challenges that you've encountered in apprenticeship delivery over the years and any any insights as to how you overcame that challenge or practically speaking? Challenges in apprenticeship delivery over the years. Do you know, in the 15 years I've been in apprenticeships, the way apprenticeships are delivered has evolved massively and uh, the, the, the way yeah. we've worked with those students has, has, has evolved and the way we're assessing apprenticeships is massively different to how it was five years ago and i hate it to add for the better i really really like the way that apprenticeships are delivered delivered now and the way that we assess from our point of view having just said that employers don't need to worry about the regulation and the compliance and those kind of things there i think the biggest challenges that we have in delivering apprenticeships is about making sure that our learners are willing to do the things that we need them to do to be compliant. And what what, what do I mean by that? If, if you're an apprentice, apprentice of mine, if I look at it purely from a compliance point of view, I need to be able to demonstrate that you're learning, that you're making progress, that you're learning the subject matter that's there. I need to be able to demonstrate that you're learning things every month, that we are doing our job and teaching you things every month, and that we're building up and you're developing your portfolio, the portfolios of evidence, particularly in that digital space to be able to show what you're doing and tracking your that you're and tracking and recording that you are spending your time learning so that what what if you're within the sector you'll understand when I say you're 20% off the job apprentices are busy doing a job at the same time and sometimes particularly those that are talented particularly those that are really really good they get so stuck into their job start to add real value into their into their employers and the apprenticeship sometimes gets a little forgotten and to the side. And the, I think the biggest challenges are engage, keeping those apprentices engaged so that they are attending sessions when you when you're teaching them, and that you are and that they are um, producing the evidence that is required for their apprenticeship. It's always harder to backtrack and re- reconstruct things with an apprentice later than if you can keep them creating the evidence along the way. So I think it's that engagement piece that is really challenging. Employers, I don't think there are many employers that don't enter into the world of apprenticeships without a desire to support learners. But I think sometimes in provider world, we can be a bit guilty of focusing on the learner too much and the employer not enough. It's a three-part, a three-way discussion at apprenticeship. It's with developing that young person when I say young person, I hate to add apprentices don't have to be young. Apprentices can, apprentices can be any age. The oldest apprentice I've worked with was 55. Okay, but developing that apprentice in their skills. But also there's an employer involved as well that has made this investment in time and 
sometimes we can forget to keep the employer updated on what's happening in their with their apprentice forget the invite the employer into conversations and focus purely on the learner and i think the bigger problems are based around those kind of areas there how do we solve this it's careful planning on from from the provider's point of view one of the things that i am introducing with our apprenticeships here so i've got some inductions that are due to run tomorrow we've got some apprentices coming on program tomorrow and what I am doing at the same time as these apprentices are starting tomorrow doing an induction for them, I have to do a learner induction, bring them on program and show them and help them understand what they're going to do. We're actually going to run at the end of week an employer induction as well. I'm just going to bring the employers for those apprentices into a, into a space for half an hour and talk about what their responsibilities are as an employer with the apprenticeship. We do things like we apprentices have to have their learner reviews. I want to make sure those are scheduled early. And I want to make sure the employers are invited to those at day one so that I might have an apprentice on program for two years, but my employers and the apprentices actually have that arc over two years when those reviews and when those sessions are going to be so that they can start to plan for those. Administrative planning, involving the employer in the conversation and involving the employer in, in, in what's happening there. The other side of it, of course, is making sure that the learning is the quality that you want it to be. I'm going to put alert. Your employers are trusting my company to give quality teaching, quality learning. They're trusting that we are actually going to do our job and delivering the skills that are there. And apprentices come from all sorts of different backgrounds. They come from all sorts of different environments. You get some. So just this week, I've been speaking with a couple of learners we want to bring on program, one of whom has already done a lot of work in the sector informally. Let's be honest, the guy is a cybersecurity. It's a great story. We have a young man who is coming on program whose employer has picked him up from an area where they've, they've accessed perhaps a naughty boy. Can I put it that way? Because he was caught using his own innate ability and talent to do things he perhaps he shouldn't have been doing. And we've been able to engage him. He's now come on an apprenticeship and you can tell straight away this guy has an innate talent that he's going to fly through the program i also have some learners who are really eager but that digital space at level three is relatively new to them so we got learners who are coming in from very very different start points and we need to bring them to the same destination over the same period of time what comes in so important here is that we understand the learner's start point on their journey that when we actually enroll those learners we are performing initial assessments we are doing what i would describe in old parlance the skill scan where we're asking those questions and we're getting an assessment of the skills that the learner has how they how good they feel they are at things but actually takes a little bit more than that we're actually sitting down with that learner at that point having that conversation examining the skills that are there what does that let me do it means that although they're going to broadly follow the same program that learner who is ready and eager to go, who has those slightly more advanced skills, he's learned through interesting methods, that learner we can nurture and we can rate, keep him racing forward at the pace that he needs to go. We can give him that stretch and challenge activity, get him learning new things that are going to excite him, whilst we also can turn around with that new learner who's new to the space. And we can, and we can start off with the, this is a computer and this is what's inside a computer conversation so that he gets the same knowledge and experience that's there. I think the other big challenge we have in apprenticeship world is functional is maths and English. For those who are not familiar with the environment, if you're on an apprenticeship, you have to be able to demonstrate you have maths and English qualifications 
at level two before, by the time you complete your apprenticeship. Level two is GCSE. So a lot of particularly older apprentices come along, I've got my GCSEs. Brilliant. Can you show me your certificates? Well, I don't know about you, John. If I asked you to find your GCSE maths and English certificates, you, you work in academia. It may be that as a result, you've got a copy of them somewhere squirreled away. I can tell you I haven't seen my GCSE certificates for 25 years plus and being able to demonstrate I have the, that. that, yeah, that long gone. Exactly. Uh, exactly. The, uh, the demonstrate I've got those certifications would be a physical impossibility to do. So if you don't have GCSE maths and English or you can't demonstrate it, you have to do what we call functional skills at level two. So that's that GCSE equivalent piece to be able to make sure you have that. And, and that's a great the reason behind it is great. It's about making sure that all learners have that level of math and English to be able to operate and function within the workforce, whatever discipline you're working in. It's absolutely great. However, if you've got learners who struggle with math and English at school, they have a, he a fear of it at apprenticeship level. If you have an old learner who flew through the math and English at school and have now haven't touched math and English as a discipline, as a subject, as a study for 20 years, there is a fear. And when they can, when they know they've passed that, there is a reluctance to get involved. And I know that we have challenges and issues motivating learners to complete these core elements of the programs. And I know in other disciplines, not my peers in other sectors have massive, massive challenges with functional skills because their demographic of learner tends to start to be, tends to start to being slightly older than mine, and real they get real resistance and challenges there. I think there's a conversation about functional skills to be had, but that's yeah. another day, maybe. Yeah, so it's a tough one. So there are, I mean, you've, you've highlighted eloquently a, a lot of the challenges that we, we have to sort of face in the apprenticeship delivery. On the maths and English, I mean, we found that. I think every, like like you say, every kind of particular apprenticeship program or, or depending on the sector, it kind of varies depending on the, the typical demographics. And on our side, one particular employer had maybe had a, a lot of highly skilled kind of software engineers that have maybe re-skilled from other areas and often have maybe come from other countries which and they will often speak english better than than you and i but not have a suitable qualification or that, that's accepted as, as as evidence for that level two mass in english so yep. near the start of like the programs that we've been running well the our understanding of it and the way we communicated it up front was less clear and then that led to frustrations on behalf of the apprentices yeah. who were you know high achievers and maybe had to do it again but we can improve that communication up front from induction yeah even from prior to induction and i really like your idea about employer induction you yeah. we'll have to maybe again maybe have a separate chat about that yeah that's a really great idea that's something i hadn't thought about before we yeah. share information with, and maybe there they can turn up to an information event, but actually when things get going, I think the first formal contact we have with them is like an early three-way review, a tripartite review, maybe six yeah. weeks into the program. Yeah. And when you do that tripartite review, I'm sure you then have the problem where some employers, because that employer is busy, then doesn't attend. And then you have a massive challenge in that yeah. keeping that engagement going. Yeah, always um, a risk. I think we're we're fortunate. I think most of them are pretty good, but it's always a risk. Yeah, and no, no, I I totally understand. I think really, 
a lot of these problems, the solution is a lot of detailed upfront conversations. The functional skills, be very direct yep. about it. When you turn around to the apprentice say, if you can't prove it, we have no choice but to do this. Even before, if, if you yep. spell it out to them that simply, even before they signed up, they get it and they might not like it, but you've taken away the resistance and the barrier. The conversations with the employer Definitely. at the early point of this is the expectation of what we need from you. In the end, the employer is the, the employer or a representative of the employer is that apprentice's mentor. They're the person, as much as I like to think that I'm doing the training on because we're the provider giving that delivery to them, it is the employer, the mentor in the workplace that actually is that prime, most important training and development point within the with that in that apprenticeship experience because we're going to be exposed to the apprentice 20 percent of the time one day a week on average and even some of that time is going to be self-study rather than me delivering training directly the other 80 percent of the time is with the employer where they are shadowing copying learning the learning workplace behavior where they are actually learning the systems that they use I can teach IP addressing theory so that I know what a class ARP address, I know what 191.1.3.23 means. It's the employer that is actually going to contextualize that when we say, we've got to go set up that network. And they're going to draw back on what I teach them. But we sit as the provider with the, we, we, we're delivering this, this teaching and this knowledge to the learner. We need to keep engaged with the mentor that is the person that is the person delivering more teaching than anybody else on this program doesn't work for me. And therefore, I don't have any direct say over what they're doing. We need to keep the engagement there. We need to keep talking and keep them involved and keep them involved yeah. and keep them involved because that was what will make the apprenticeship successful. Yeah, it's a fantastic point. Yeah, being more intentional about that relationship and, and sort of trying to close the gap. And, and tighten it yeah even outside of the the kind of fundamental regulatory requirement of like the tripartite reviews every three months but you know yeah. building on that so plenty of fantastic reminders there and you alluded to a couple of sort of positive stories of apprentices that you know have come through and and, and from maybe from difficult backgrounds or doing things they shouldn't be doing but just to sort of really to, to summarize are there any uh, like other or or maybe building on those those stories you've already mentioned any success stories that that i think really would would highlight how transformational beneficial friendships can be for the learners both maybe in their personal life but also professional life will end on a positive note john how much time have you got to talk about positive stories this is why i do it okay <laughs> i many many years ago when i worked for a training provider that no longer exists i attended a company conference uh, company event, yeah, the annual event where you get everyone together and you look at the success of the company over the year that's there. And the owner of the company at the time, he he turned around and he he said, and this has always stuck with me, that he said I could earn more money doing business a different way, while I am proud that I earn my money changing people's lives, and that always stuck with me. And then a little bit later, I think it was the same conference, it might have been in fairness the following year, he coined a quote from a film called The Blues Brothers. If you're, if you're familiar with The Blues Brothers, at some point, one of, the blue, one of the brothers turns around and says, we're on a mission from God. And I don't literally think that working in apprenticeships is a divine calling, 
where God has spoken to me and has given me this as an assignment to do. But in the, whoever your God is, whether you are Christian, whether you follow Islam, or whether actually you are atheist and your God is the world around you, I am on a mission to change the lives of young people particularly, but anyone who wants to be able to develop a career. For me, that route is cybersecurity and IT because that's my talent, my background, and my skill set. But it's not about developing IT people. It's about changing lives and seeing people developing careers that are going to benefit their future. So your question was about success stories. About 15 years ago, when I first came into the sector, so the first cohort of apprentices I ever worked with, the company I worked with at the time used to deliver what they called program-led apprenticeships. No longer exists as a apprenticeship model. The idea of program-led apprenticeship was that you would, it, it answered a massive gap in terms of neat learners at the time. So there was a massive number of learners who were not in education, employment, or training. And what they encouraged providers to do was deliver the apprenticeship program as a block. So we would have apprentices in the classroom for five months, and then we would place them into a job once they completed their learning. And so I had this class that were with me full time. And I had this one lad, not his real name, but we'll call him Jamal. All right. Jamal had joined my class, my program. He had left school with no qualifications. When you looked at his math and English, he was topping out at what we call entry level three in terms of ability. He clearly had a desire to get into IT, but his perception of self was that he couldn't achieve. And he didn't believe in himself that he would be able to get through the program we were teaching. One of the things I discovered with Jamal as he was on program, that he had developed a fondness for cocaine and had developed a drug habit while he was on program. And you could see, and he developed this while he was on program, you saw him spiral in his behavior and the way he was working and operating through the program that was there. He never admitted it. To this day, he's never admitted to me that was going on. I know he did, he, that that was happening. He knows I know, and I know that he knows I know if you know what I mean. But one day, his behavior within the class and the way he was working was becoming really, really difficult. And I had a really direct problem. And I, and I called him out on what I was seeing. I said, I said, Jamal, I am seeing this behavior, that behavior, that behavior, and I believe it's related to this. And he looked at me and said, no, 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 it's not, that's not the case. I said, let's go to my computer and look up the behaviors associated with people on, on the kind of problem that I think you might be having here. And he looked at me. And he said, no, there's no need to do that. And he came back in class the following day. He had a shirt and tie on properly. He smartened himself up and he quietened down. The day he passed his key skills, as they were called them, but the level two math and English, I cannot describe the emotion in the guy as he left the classroom. And we got him through his level three program. And then suddenly towards the end of his program, he said to me, I'm going to apply for university. Will you apply? Will you write me a university reference? I said, of course I will, Jamal. And we wrote him a reference. And he secured himself a place at Teesside University. After he graduated, after graduated from our apprenticeship, after he left the program, he came back in about three months later. And he and I, we had a bit of a chat and went outside. And he came in, he had his niece with him. He was dressed really smartly. He was fresh. His appearance, his demeanor has changed. And I said to him, Jamal, you've changed. And he looked at me and said, yeah, I know. 
And I said, he came and he thanked me so much for the work that we've done. And I looked at him and said, what's changed in you? And he just looked at me and he said, you know. He said, that day, you know. And that was all he said. So one of my favorite stories is, is Jamal and the fact he went off to university and completed that degree. Other, other stories that are success stories, I have a learner of mine who was moved into my group, who we work with. He was disengaged and we spent a bit of time working with, with this lad and got him through. We got him through his apprenticeship program. He also passed his CompTIA Plus and some of the other vendor certifications that we work with. And when he left the apprenticeship, he sat back and he looked at, I've done all of this. I never expect to achieve any of these things. And he was like, what am I going to do with my life next? And he found a job being advertised in Holland, in, in the Netherlands. And he said, I'm going to do that. I found it's a life change. He applied for that job, got it, moved his life to the Netherlands. Now, about 10 years on, he, is, he heads up the cyber part of, one, of a very large international online travel company, the EMEA region, so that's Europe, Middle East, and Africa. His career has gone great guns. I have an apprentice that I worked with in those early days who now is a senior manager running an apprenticeship team, not apprenticeship, running a, 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 an IT support team for a haulage company in the Midlands. I have a young man that I worked with who has just taken on, he, he did his level three IT infrastructure technician he went on to do his level four, I think he did a cybersecurity technology, so he moved into that cyberspace. And he now has, with about four or five years experience in the industry, has now been taken on by, actually what is an Australian company that are moving to the UK. And he is busy, help, busy building up and heading up their managed services in the UK. So I have success stories of people who've turned their lives around. I've had success stories of people who have got jobs which when i just talk about the job titles and where they're at you can see they've built amazing careers off the back of the journey that we started with them but for me every learner who gets to the end of their program and gets that certificate is someone i am proud of most recently i had a young man he actually worked he actually worked in the doctor's surgery of all places over in Sundorp. And he had done a level two customer service apprenticeship. And he said to his employer, I really want to get into IT. And they said, yeah, well, we'll support you with that. And they enrolled him on a level three apprenticeship. Uh, his, his employer, whilst he didn't have IT work going on, it didn't have as much exposure to IT as some of the other employers we work. And this young man, he worked so hard. I took so much pride in watching this young man who I not going to name but in the amount of effort he put in the desire to succeed to get through and he struggled he struggled so much with some of the concepts that we were teaching and, and getting his head around them but he passed the exams we asked him to do and he did all the work we asked the lab was 17 when i started working with him six months into the apprenticeship he came and told me that his partner his girlfriend was pregnant so not only has he gone through that apprenticeship experience he also has had the joys of becoming a dad setting up a home and becoming a family man as well. And this young man, if he, ever hear, if he hears this podcast, he will know exactly what I mean. And yes, I am referring to you. I am so proud of uh, what he has achieved and what he has done over his 
apprenticeship period in his own personal life. And by the time he completed his endpoint assessment, I'd actually moved company and was no longer working with him. And this young man, he came and he looked me up to let me know that he had a certificate that said he passed his apprenticeship, which for a while, I'll be honest today, we weren't convinced was going to happen purely because of the challenges involved for him. And that young man now is building a career in IT. And I'm really excited to follow him into the future and see where that ends up with him and his little family. Oh, fantastic. You'll have to make sure you send this episode to him. <laughs> uh, make sure he hears it just to embarrass him. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But no, it's so good to hear those sort of positive stories. And I think it highlights, you know, particularly in the first the, the, the first experience you mentioned about the, the kind of impact we, I suppose, we, we potentially can have on those around us, I guess, regardless of whether we're in apprenticeships, was, apprenticeships or not. But working apprenticeships are often working with maybe younger people or those that are from from various backgrounds and the impact that we can have in the moment that we we just do we're kind of just we're doing what we feel like is we should be doing we, we we're, yeah. you know we're calling people out we're supporting them and you and we don't you don't know you, you know you don't know what kind of long-term impact that that's going to have so i think that's a really good reminder something to aspire to as well and i guess a, a kind of a an advert for the importance of his education and yeah. work-based learning. My wife works in the sector as well. She works for a different provider, funnily enough. But we, just yesterday, we were talking about what you're saying in education. And one of the things that work in this space that has taught both of us is the importance of education and how that makes a difference in our lives. And it's, it's partly about your career and getting the best career opportunities that are there. But young people that are listening, I would encourage you, it's not about what you study. It's about taking your education to the fullness of your potential. If you do that, you will unlock doors. You will open insights into your career, but also into yourself and your life and will benefit you in ways you can't imagine. Everyone should be encouraged to achieve the maximum that they can in themselves lovely yeah lo lovely sort of final point i think and uh, that's what apprenticeships should be right they're, yeah. they're, they're not just training programs i think really they're, they're kind of transfer they should be transformational programs they're about the whole person and when it works yeah it's incredible so dan thank you thank you so much for coming on the show as it were and sort of sharing your your experience and insights and those experiences as well i'm sure we could probably create a spin-off series of just Dan's positive stories from apprenticeships. Maybe we need to create a separate podcast for that. So thank you very much, Dan. I'm sure we'll, we'll talk in again and hope you have a, a fantastic rest of the day. Thank you very much.